Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Thing about Miami is when Miami is on, it's better than everybody. Pete Thamel. From the moment Marcus Freeman walked on campus, when he picked Notre Dame over LSU, he has really kicked up that aggression to go get the top players. With SI's Pat Forty. I thought that was atrocious. I thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was classless and demeaning to Manny Diaz. Really, it didn't do anything wrong other than not win enough. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. Big news. Coaching Carousel is back. Almost died out. And then Miami finally got around to fire. Well, first they got around to hiring a coach, then firing a coach. But whatever. They do things a little little backwards down there in Miami, but it comes out well in the end, at least for them. Mario Cristobal, who they uh, desperately wanted, is the latest who will bring the U back. Went to Miami, from Miami, worked at Miami. Tremendous track record of recruiting in South Florida. He leaves Oregon, had uh, had a lot of resources and all that, but much like myself, he would rather sit around and smoke massive cigars by the beach, <laughs> climb a hiking trail in Oregon. I understand, Mario. He said, no, you wouldn't understand unless you were from the U. It's a U thing, a cane thing. I understand. <laughs> Pat, your thoughts on uh, Coach Cristobal leaving the Nike... Uh, empire for to try to do the U. I have many, many thoughts. Interesting of the U to spin the carousel backward. As you noted, hire before firing. I thought that was atrocious. I thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was classless and demeaning to Manny Diaz. Really, it didn't do anything wrong other than not win enough. But I mean, he comported himself perfectly fine. He's a child of Miami. And I mean, they treated him like dirt to to openly go and uh, recruit and then get um, Mario Cristobal while he's still the coach and expect him to just sit there holding the bag basically for him, uh, which he did because probably did, that was his best option. But still, it was it was not pretty. And I thought it was uh, low class behavior. Um, and I think, you know, like we, yes, this may just be the price of doing business in college football, but that's a lousy price to me. And it doesn't reflect well on the university leadership who has said, OK, if you got the money, we'll just do things your way. It doesn't really matter. It's whatever you guys want to do. That's fine. I'm not crazy about the process now. As I said in my, a column this week, I mean, they, they, 
I think they probably money whipped their way into a better situation. I think they probably made an upgraded coach and an upgraded athletic director with Dan Radakovich, presumably, you know, finalizing things to come in there on that end. Cristobal, you mentioned, you know, he's done well. I, I, and I expect him to do well at Miami. I also expected other people to do well who haven't. So we'll wait and see. But it's not out of the question that, that he gets them back to national prominence. My other question, dovetailing off of this, and I'll, I'll let you guys talk, but we could pick this up. Why aren't people staying at Oregon? I mean, they got a good miss when Willie Taggart left, but this one, I think, hurts Oregon to leave for what some people thought was kind of a, a bankrupt, dead-end job. I understand Mario Cristobal has special ties there, but he still made a, a decision that's a professional career decision that doesn't necessarily reflect that Phil Knight University is, is the place to be a destination. Would, would you hang around long enough? You see enough of these jobs turn over and turn over. The thing you worry about is when Mario Cristobal's time ends, hopefully it's after 15 years and there's turnover chains and Bentley's galore. And the U is we can all go to South Beach and watch Miami be Miami. And they got some billionaire wanting to build a stadium in Coral Gables. I hope all that happens. But someday it's going to end. You know what I mean? Like someday it, all, it ends for everybody, except Nick Saban. He's a cyborg. He's going to go for uh, for 40 more years. But it just like don't think they're going to treat you any different. Right. Like, don't think you're so special that they're going to treat you any different than they treated Manny Diaz. So you have to go in knowing that this is new money. This is blind ambition. And these are people that really obviously have big goals and good ideas, but poor execution. So this will eventually come around and it might be in four years and it might be in 14 years. So it is just kind of an, an interesting little window to know what you're signing up for. If you're Dan Radakovich folks could turn on you quick. If you're Mario Cristobal, you know, you lose to Florida State in year three and you're only going to the Meineke Bowl. Like it's, you know, if they have enough money to do what they just did, they're going to they're going to want to go. It becomes like sport. It's like Texas. They're going to just go and try over. They're going to go and try over and just keep uh, keep on churning. So that said, it's a good hire. I mean, Mario Cristobal at Miami is a natural fit and it should work. The extent it should work, a, a lot of that is relying on you know, myriad variables, but that, that obviously side of the ACC is winnable, but you know what? It's been winnable the last 15 years and no one's been able to, to, to galvanize the forces to, uh, to, to do anything. I think that the best thing Manny Diaz did, the reason why you shouldn't have let him swing in the wind like that is that he, he left you Tyler Van Dyke, who's a really good young quarterback, maybe the best freshman quarterback in, uh, in college football this last year, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. If he's not, he's one of the top three. You can, you can split hairs and argue, but that is a heck of a piece to start building on. It's a little bit like when Mario got elevated at Oregon and you have the kid from Eugene who can like see the stadium from his back porch be Justin Herbert, who's the best young quarterback in the, uh, in the NFL now. So, and I'm not saying Tyler Van Dyke's that good, but he has a chance to be a first-round pick. He has a chance to be an elite ACC quarterback. You right now have a better quarterback than Clemson does. So that's saying something off off the bat, and that's a that's a really good way to start. And the the pull of Miami in the NIL era, not only is there all this money, but there's also the portal. Every kid who left is going to have a chance to come back now, and that's going to be interesting to see how quickly Mario Cristobal can galvanize that. Yeah, I mean, look – Cristobal wanted to go back to, to live in Miami and be at Miami. You know, why Why Miami over Oregon? I mean, I just look at this year's Rivals.com rankings. There are 54 four-star or better recruits in the state of Florida. 54. Oh. 
If you sign a top 50 kid nationally, that's good. You sign a top 50 kid in your state, usually it's, I mean, 54. Now, not there's, there's a lot of competition. Florida's a big school. Some of these people are in Pensacola, right? This is a long way away. But a preponderance of those players or some, some large segment of those players is, are in South Florida. But as you said, Dan, Mo, Larry, and Curly take turns screwing up down there in that state, and Mo and Larry still suck. Yeah, so. uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. Floor, you know, we'll see. They are starting to get, but there are players, and that's it. And I think it's like, look, when when the thing about Miami is when Miami is on, it's better than everybody. And we've seen it twice. And that's what is the thing that has these guys get so excited. Because if you get it right, you can be as good as anyone's ever been. You don't see that at very many places where you just look back and go, you know, Man, that was legendary. Now, they also screw it up better than anybody else. Like, you know, how many more uh, 30 for 30s are we going to have on the program, right? Everything Miami does is absolutely insane. You talk about the new money ambition. This is this is actually my favorite. Not even the coaching. We're hiring, we're hiring a coach, then firing the coach, then hiring the AD. Uh, order of business is pretty good. But there's a guy named John Ruiz. He is a billionaire down in Miami. And this week he proposed buying Coral Gables High School, <laughs> just where uh, Miami is in Coral Gables, <laughs> and putting a 50,000-seat retractable roof, state-of-the-art stadium on the plot of land, which I don't even know would fit it, looking at it, somewhere putting the high school in the stadium. What? Putting a new stadium in. You know, I mean, it's only 13 acres. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's somehow doing this building a new high school and just everyone would be happy. And, you know, it's just like, I'm going to throw money at this. I, I got to, right? we need a stadium. So let's just, let's there's no room, of course. Buy high school. <laughs> buy the high school, build the high school, but also a stadium on top of the high school. I mean, no, we're not, right? Miami, not forget the University of Miami, like the city of Coral Gables, like the hell you will. <laughs> there's zoning laws, you know. There, there are things that have to happen. To a, I mean, my- it's a high school. There's a neighbors across the street that did not buy their house, hoping to have a fifty thousand seat stadium yeah. across the street. Right? <laughs> Traffic. All the Coral Gables is a okay. Florida is a beautiful place. South Florida is beautiful. This is a extremely wealthy area. This, this is not. This is not just like. Hey, we'll put it up. You know, someone lives across the street in Miami Gardens too, right? Well, they may not have the quite the power and might that Coral G- Coral Gables is making. That city is beautiful. You're not sitting around going, "Boy, if we only had a stadium." But like to this guy, this is just the gumption of Miami booster, right? Like, what do you? I'll I'll just do it. I'll just do it, right? At many other places in the country, they would be like, "Great, you want to build us a stadium?" But this, you know, like, what do you mean? Just buy the high school. More money than sense. It's not that rare out There's there. There's no plan. Yeah. And then the, the, the city's already gone and said, no, we're, this is not, <laughs> this is not being support. This is not being discussed. Quote, we are not entertaining any such idea. Like when politicians are just like batting away billionaires, you know, it's a bad idea. <laughs> that's the, the way so to say, shut that's the hell Miami, up. Right? <laughs> Stop. Cause look, they haven't been great since they closed the orange bowl, which was located closer to campus. And, and had, I mean, that was a, a phenomenal place to watch a football oh, man. game. But that's gone. Yeah. It's now a baseball stadium. They got to play up in Miami Gardens. It's not as good, all of that. But I think Mario Cristobal just looks at it and says, look, man, I got I got 54, four or five stars in my state. You know, let's say 20 of them are right around me. 
Can I get 15 of them and then spend the rest of the time getting another set? Yeah, I can. And if I do, look out. And he will, this is, so I think that's the appeal. One, one more small point on this. Crystal ball gets going. He has a way of not just impacting Miami, but the whole country. Because Alabama, some of these other programs have raided South Florida oh, yeah. for that elite talent of late. Oh, yeah. If you want to see Nick Saban, I'm not saying Nick Saban's scared of Mario Cristobal. I ain't saying Alabama's going to fall apart. But when they just can't go down there and grab every wide receiver they want, they got to, you know, it just becomes a little bit more of a fight. Sure. If, if he can keep these guys, if he can get Miami back to really good, let alone like 2000, whatever that was, one, two, three, what were those? What was a couple of those elite? Uh, I mean, just were crazy teams. Yeah, 2001. Yeah, maybe the all time greatest team. I mean, if you get back to that, you got one of the all-time group. But if you just get back to like, all right, Miami's big time again. All those players that are spreading out now, well, they ain't going there. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you lock up that backyard. It's the most fertile backyard in America. I, I mean, if you think about it, you could certainly the best quarterback from South Florida in the last decade and arguably the two best both went to Louisville. Teddy Bridgewater and certainly Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, I don't think anybody's been better than him out of there for the last 10 years. Like. If, if you're doing the job right, that doesn't happen. You know, I mean, that, that, it, whether it was misevaluation or whether just the U didn't wasn't selling itself or what. But I mean, you, you got to have Lamar Jackson down there if you're the coach. Well, Teddy Bridgewater was a bigger recruit than Lamar Jackson. He was. Uh, he was. It, he was a five star guy. Yeah. Right? And that was Clint Hurt, uh, son of Miami uh, at Louisville on a uh, show cause, if I remember right. A, uh, a Tom Church special. Um, there's always reasons why things that may seem a little out of line happen in uh, in, in college football. And uh, yeah, look, that was obviously something that really swung the ACC for a little while. And you miss Teddy Bridgewater. You miss three years of him starting a quarterback. And that can send your program on an entirely different trajectory. And it shot Louisville's in one way and it made it it made it a sexy place for somebody like Lamar Jackson to go. Nick Saban and Kirby Smart aren't going to give up recruiting in South Florida. Clemson's not going to stop going down there. But they know now they could take off the boxing gloves and put on the brass knuckles to get the best players. Because Miami, especially with some of this new money there and name, image, and likeness, Miami kids want to stay in Miami for the most part. For the most part, there is an aura down there. Who doesn't want to go to Miami, right? Pat, you're in Miami right now. Why would you want to leave? I am in I. I as a matter of fact, told some people back home, I'm not leaving. So <laughs> I'm committing to the U. Everybody yes. should commit to South Florida. <laughs> You're blocking tight end, Pat. Is that what you are at this point? Uh, yes, I can do that. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll put you in motion in line and, uh, you know, yeah. see if you can. I can uh, catch. I just I can't get open because I'm too slow. Uh, fair enough. Jeremy Shockey and uh, some of the other great U tight ends shouldn't have to watch their uh, watch their places in the record books. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's look, Miami in eternally will produce top talent. It's more than likely at this point that we'll look back at this run of Miami unperforming as an anomaly. You would just think location, 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 eventually that. The most interesting part about the Cristobal hire in this new direction to me is that Miami's also going to have to overcome the ACC. And we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast for the past year. You're not going to feel this this year. You're not going to feel it next year. But when you're making 30 million less in TV money, 20 million less a year in TV money, which starts to happen in 24, I think, when uh, when that all uh, ESPN deal comes, that's 200 million dollars over 10 years. And it's it's probably more than that. It's really like a quarter billion dollars. So you look at a quarter billion dollars. That's a state part of a stadium. That's a entire facility. That's 
all those analysts that Pat hates because he thinks they should be buying more chlorine for the swimming pool. Um, those you can buy like a junior high. <laughs> yes, that, exactly. But that's middle. Stuff. Yes. Coral Gables middle. Yes. Yes. But these leagues, all of a sudden, when you get billions of dollars ahead, and that's what the SEC is going to be, billions of dollars ahead, there's going to be a gap. And they're worried about it at Clemson, and they should be because they've, they've been able to fill that gap for now. But we'd be able to do it forever. So at Miami, I, I think that this new money and direction comes at a time because once once that gap starts growing, and they've never had great facilities there. Blake James, the last AD at Miami, did a pretty good job catching them up. It's You, you can't, like, snap your fingers and make hundreds of million dollars in facilities appear. Blake James got them to somewhat functional as opposed to just being completely antiquated. And this is a sign that they want to keep roaring. Yeah, they still whacked him. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody in the ACC who will tell you Blake James did a terrible job or a bad job or wasn't a good athletic director. I think fans in Miami have equated the lack of success of the team to him not doing a good job. But I really – and I didn't think the Mark Richt hire was good. I didn't think it was good at the time. Mark Richt couldn't get Georgia to fulfill its potential like Kirby Smart has. So how is he going to take an underachieving brand, take a high-end brand and it's underachieving? How are you going to take an underachieving brand and make it overachieve? To me, that was just – that was a safe hire. I I thought – and Manny Diaz was a little bit of the engine of that good run under Richt with the turnover chain and they had great defenses – I didn't have any problem with the uh, with, with the Manny Diaz hire. And they had knocked on Mario's door, whatever it was, a couple of years ago, too. But he had just, uh, I guess it would have been, this was Manny's third year, right, Pat? Yes. Yeah, so Three it, years and out. He would have just had gone to Oregon. That would have been tough to, to ditch Uncle Phil like that. I did just want to point this out. Mario Cristobal was actually fired at Florida International University. To me, it still remains one of the most mystifying, wild things that a guy went on to take Oregon to the Rose Bowl, and now is getting $80 million to come back to South Florida where he was fired at FIU to coach the Hurricanes. College football is amazing. I, I will say this. The guy who fired him, Pete Garcia, is one of the all-time negligent administrators in the history of college sports. He actually fired Mario Cristobal, and he hired Isaiah Thomas to be his basketball coach. <laughs> Don't you remember that? And he lived through it oh all. Oh, my God. That was the funniest. <laughs> like, uh, somebody said, you know what? I forgot like, about that. Yeah, I oh, think Isaiah yeah. will come down and really do a nice job <laughs> here at F uh, at FIU. That and he left. he's left Kyrie's... FIU as a disaster. FIU is just a oh. smoldering mess right now. Uh, brought his buddy Butch back, which went okay until it didn't. There was some stat where FIU hadn't won like an FBS game since they beat Miami. It was like two two years ago. I think it was Manny's first year. Yeah, FIU is in a uh, in a in a in a downward spiral, and uh, it does not help FIU that FAU is now going to the AAC. So you're clearly the lowest place on the food chain in the uh, South Florida pecking order. So I remember this greatest moment in FIU history was when they had that brawl with the, with Miami. <laughs> yes, remember that? Oh, helmet swinging. I mean, that was. That was a serious. There was a guy ball. on crutches yeah. out there. <laughs> that was that was serious beef. Yes. That's dedication when you're crutching out there to to join your your fellow teammates. Yeah, wasn't like Lamar uh, Lamar Thomas was the U of M. Yeah, this is the thing, Pat. You talk about class and dignity and all this stuff. I got I have the quotes right here. This is this is during a brawl. <laughs> now I can cheer on brawls because I'm not like supposed to be respectable. <laughs> But if you're the school color commentator, you can't oh, yell. <laughs> I have, This is great. I have the quote right here. So the players are all beating on each other out in the field. 
And Lamar Thomas goes, now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you come into our house, you should get your behind kick. He was smart enough not to use the, you know, he doesn't <laughs> FCC say FCC approved. <laughs> you don't come into the OB, the orange ball, playing that stuff. You're across the ocean over there. You're across the city. You can't come into our place talking noise like that. You get your butt beat. I was about to go down the elevator to get in on that thing. <laughs> I say, why don't we meet outside the tunnel after the ball game and get it on some more? You don't come in the OB. <laughs> We've had a down couple years. Oh, and you're going to have a few more, Lamar. <laughs> but you don't come in here talking smack. Not in our house. Like, that's what I want out of a Miami Hurricane. I need some Jim Ross in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I want that back. I want Nevin Shapiro measuring his 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 uh his luxury suite for a stripper pole. <laughs> yeah. I want that. We're on our way. We're on our way. When they buy Coral Gables High School, they'll be in the chemistry room. They'll put they'll put a stripper pole up. <laughs> you guys don't need the high school, do you? Uh, yeah, we were using that. We were using that. Oh my head. Man, Calais Campbell was in that fight. That is the largest man I've ever seen. Yeah, do not fight him. Do not fight him. Much respect to the FIU players for stepping up to that. <laughs> Holy cow. Do not fight that man. Yeah. Anyway. Almost exactly a decade ago, I looked it up here, Wednesday, December 1st, 2011. I watched Isaiah Thomas lean against the scorer's table for 40 minutes while Louisville beat him 92 to 55. <laughs> Arms folded across his chest, like, "Why am I here?" That was, that was great. That was did you go to that game just to write a column to rip Isaiah? I think I did. That was <laughs> that, I, I was I was just started at Yahoo. I don't remember what I actually wrote off of that, but yeah, it was beautiful. I need it all. I need I need uh, Uncle Luke back. I need the whole thing back. I need some you in my life. Yeah. Come on. I mean, you remember how the world you can just do went it. bonkers when they had that little taste of relevance back in 17. I mean, it was oh, unbelievable. Yeah. It was just a flood. Yeah. People were dying for Miami to be good. Just dying. Yeah. This is the best shot. All right, let's get to Oregon. What do they do? And yeah, is this a problem where these coaches get up there? I mean, you can't, I just saw their indoor practice facility. Like I, <laughs> this thing's insane. I mean, I mean, it's like, what, what do you like? What, what do you, how could you spend so much money? But they are like there. there's you can't do anything more to make your program great. But do these coaches get up there and go, you know what? This is as great as we can be. I mean, obviously, they made a, a title game once. Chip Kelly had them rolling uh, prior to that. But is there a cap and that 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 the Ducks hit? Because quite honestly, it's Eugene, Oregon. Eugene's interesting. I wrote about this uh, on Yahoo yesterday. Three of their last four coaches have left for better what they have perceived to be better jobs you could argue that Oregon's a better job than both Florida State and Miami but they hired two guys with strong Florida ties uh, in Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal and they left and then Chip went to the NFL it's hard to blame a guy for going to the NFL I mean I think he was 46 and 7 there like, he gave it a pretty good run um came one Michael Dyer twist away from bringing a national title to uh to to Eugene and is it because – I mean, they hired two guys from Florida and then a guy from New Hampshire. Is it because they haven't hired a native son that they wanted to say? By the way, the guy they fired, Mark Helfrich, brought him to a national title game. Like, he wasn't a total bust. I mean, Mark Helfrich was standing across from Urban Meyer in Dallas that night. It will be interesting to see if – ADs always hire opposites, right? It'll be interesting to see if they try to go big and bold with Matt Campbell or Bill O'Brien or somebody like that. 
Or they go familiar with Justin Wilcox, like longtime son of Eugene, who's from there. His dad played there. His brothers played there. The the whole uh, that that whole song and dance. So how much do you value continuity? Do you value it over, you know, because somebody might be a notch less qualified or a notch less, you know, a notch less successful. And then there's do you bring Chip back, which would be would be and could be pretty compelling. Yeah, the, I think he wants to go back. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire at UCLA. He did finally get over the hump this year and have a winning record. Knowing, I don't know, considering that Oregon is one of those places that listens very closely to a certain very important booster, and boosters like that always tend to think of the glory days and want to rekindle them, and I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Knight's saying, let's go get Chip. Uh, you know, maybe that isn't the way it goes, but it, it would not shock me by any stretch. Pete, you, you ran through a good list of people there. I, you, what uh, What about Kalani Satake? Yeah, great I, I name. That's a great some, name, and I yeah. put that in my column. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, he's twenty one and three the past two yeah, years. Last two years? No, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's they lost the number two pick in the NFL draft and were just as good basically this year from last year. That that was impressive to me for them to to turn that around and maintain and. He's a guy I think could recruit well, and certainly, uh, you know, the recruiting, uh, you know, people of Samoan and other Pacific Island heritage is really important out there in the West, and and I, he could do that. Um, he's he's a pretty charismatic guy, uh, you know. I, I think that you, you throw him in the mix with those other guys, but I, the, the Chip Kelly thing is intriguing to me, depending whether Rob Mullins is making the call in a vacuum or whether Rob Mullins is making the call with Phil Knight tapping on his shoulder. Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson, if he wants to come back, although I, you know, I don't know whether he wants to go into the mess of playing against Washington. I'm not sure. Should be interesting. I would, I would go uh, Sataki myself. I mean, he's done a fine job, and that is a guy who probably stick around. I just, I don't know what else you can do at Oregon to make your program uh, desirable. That's the thing. They've Uh, done everything. You know, done everything, done it all. We got birds chirping in the back of Pat's. (laughs) I am podcasting from my. Hotel patio, literally looking at the Atlantic Ocean across South Beach right now. So eat your hearts out, people in Detroit and Boston. I know this is a podcast, but trust that I am flipping him (laughs) off right now. (laughs) It is pretty obnoxious to do it from the porch outside, by the way. Like, (laughs) come on, man. It's got to rub it in a little. Notre Dame had a uh, press conference for new coach Marcus Freeman. It's not breaking news. They all have press conferences. He did not break out into a southern accent. <laughs> he did not. Didn't break out into an upper Midwest Crystal Ball accent. Spoke, Crystal Ball spoke Spanish, and, uh, uh, you know, I was like, oh, boy, Brian Kelly better not ever go to Miami. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> Yo soy Brian Kelly. <laughs> uh, Pat, you were there, and you had a very good column on it. And I, I got to admit, like, we'll, uh, you, you ended it very well about we'll see how the, this honeymoon is, is we'll, we'll go till the opener. But like the a level of excitement of Notre Dame and Notre Dame players and Notre Dame alums and Notre Dame fans for a guy who's 35 years old and has never coached a football game as the head coach is unbelievable. Not saying it's not warranted because Mark, you listen to Marcus Freeman, you're like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. But. My goodness, this is this is I mean, there is just so much excitement uh, that it appears they're going to keep their whole recruiting class together and they can still close will be kind of interesting. Signing day is in, you know, a week. It's next Wednesday. 
just a little on what you saw up in South Bend. That thing was a revival. It was. As uh, much as a press conference. You know, I mean, because Notre Dame has always been such a button-down place, and this was uh, breaking the mold a little bit. They had it in their new indoor facility, which is phenomenal and huge. Then, you know, they they when I was walking in, and it's, it's 30 degrees and the wind is howling at you, and I'm like, how's he going to recruit here? But he's already done a good job of that. Uh, and then, like, the marching band is scurrying past me to go in, and they're blasting the fight song, and he walks in with his wife and his six children, you know, and it's just like, oh, that's really nice, you know. And then he gets up on the podium, and Father Jenkins does his spiel, and Jack Swarbrick does his spiel, and then Marcus Freeman kills the speech, uh, and there's all a bunch of players there, and they're all excited, and there's former players there. I talked to Chris Zorich and Pat Terrell from the 1988 team, the last time they won a national championship, and they're, like, just overjoyed to have Marcus Freeman. So, like, the positive energy is incredible. I, I said in the column that they won the press conference by as wide a margin as they usually lose college football playoff games. I mean, it was it was a route as far as winning the press conference. Uh, but that's a day. And now, yeah, they, I think part of the reason, Dan, that there is this excitement beyond his personality is the continuity. And you keep Tommy Reese, who's a very gifted offensive coordinator, um, on his way up in the profession, probably be a, a, get a very good head coaching job at some point in the relatively near future. He's only 29. You keep Matt Bayless the strength coach. You keep defensive line coach. You keep the recruiting class, which is one of the best Notre Dame's ever had. And, you know, that it's not only what you have, it's what Brian Kelly didn't get from you. So I think that that's part of it, too, because they were stung. They were absolutely stung by Kelly leaving, and they were determined not to let him take every speck of who hash with him to uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, Jack Swarberg even made the point, said a quote, that, that, that energized me greatly was to try to keep these guys from following Brian Kelly. So, you know, it's it's all lined up, but yes, now you got to win and and Marcus Freeman did talk himself into a little bit of a situation, I thought, where people were asking, you know, he said the goal is to win national championship. Okay, when? And he's like, eh, next year, basically. I'll pull up the exact <laughs> quote. It can be done right away. We're not talking about a future long-term plan. This is talking about the urgency I said for now to finish this season off, which is the bowl game. And then next year, we have to be intentional in our efforts to make sure we're doing whatever it takes to put this team in position to win a national championship. All righty. Shoot for the moon. See for, see how close they get. I'm excited for the Marcus Freeman era for, for a lot of reasons. But the one thing that's been missing as Notre Dame has pushed to the cusp of title contention, but never actually broken through that first round of the playoffs. And again, it's very hard to get there. But if you want to go compete with Alabama and Georgia, you have to beat them in recruiting. It's not like a big mystery. There's not some magical player development thing. You need to go and get the best players. And from the moment Marcus Freeman walked on campus, when he picked Notre Dame over LSU, he has really kicked up that aggression to go get the top players. There was a four-star kid who was about to commit to Oklahoma, flipped to Notre Dame in his first couple of weeks. And that has set a tone for better players to come to Notre Dame. And just, again, they, they were getting really good players before, right? But this is just a little bit more ambition where maybe before Notre Dame might say, hey, we might not be able to get in there. There's going to be some additional aggression, and that's going to be a big part of Marcus Freeman's MO. Brian Kelly obviously recruited well, right? You look at Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and plenty of skill guys, Michael Mayer, the tight end, the uh, the whole thing. He did not have the reputation of 
working like Nick Saban does in recruiting or working like Kirby Smart does in recruiting. And I really think Marcus Freeman is going to be that energizer bunny. I I remember when Urban Meyer got to Ohio State, he spent 80% of his time on recruiting because he felt like the talent advantage would be much greater than any strategic advantage he could give his team by sitting in on like third down game plans and whatnot. So I would feel like that going forward will be something Marcus Freeman can do to maybe help push Notre Dame, you know, from the red zone into the end zone when it comes to maybe winning a playoff game and pushing to that elite level. And and fans love that. And there's no question. If you look at this class coming up and uh, that they, they should sign next week, Notre Dame has two top 100 rivals players. They got a, a third kid who's about 105th. So, you know, maybe we'll say three out of their group. It's a very highly rated group, but they only have three really elite players. Uh, according to the recruiting rankings, next year's group has six verbal commits, the class of 2023, so the current juniors, but four of them are top 100 rivals players. Uh, so the the yield rate is much higher, since, and that's really when Marcus Freeman's able to get in on it. Freeman said, I better be the lead recruiter in every kid we recruit, yeah. and I plan on doing it. That is an, an excellent statement, and that is an Urban Meyer, Kirby Smart type statement. Like, we, I'm going after him. Me, personally, you're going to get this guy. And listen, listening to him and the energy and the age and everything, you go, I bet you it's going to be pretty impressive. We'll see what he gets. But I would think, this is no knock on Brian Kelly, because Brian Kelly's an exceptional coach, but he's a 60-year-old dude, you know, He's not. He's not going to work that hard at it. He's worked hard, but not and not like that. You got a a a, a guy who's going to recruit like an assistant when he's the head coach. That that says something. And obviously, he's going to be a very 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 impressive guy. He's going to be sitting in living rooms and talking to parents and all of that. And so he's he's taking it on like he's making a statement. And I, I contrast that. And this is just a different mentality. I I I have no. This isn't a negative. But Billy Napier takes over at Florida, and Billy Napier comes in from Louisiana. He is a Nick Saban learned under Saban. Saban's not the one talking about how, you know, I'm the lead guy and we're getting like, he doesn't have to, right? He's Saban. Napier had a much more philosophical way. And he just sort of, when they talked about recruiting, which really did in Dan Mullen, because, well, I think the important part here is we don't get consumed with stars, four star, five star. I think it's be more about evaluation. We're going to go through a very thorough evaluation process all this stuff. Very, very. Now, I think Napier will do a tremendous job. I think that's kind of like, that's a little okey do- He's going to recruit. Oh, yeah. Because Saban knows how to recruit. Saban just doesn't stand out there and wave his arms. Marcus Freeman, though, went the other route and is basically waving his arms saying, we're going to get we're going to get you guys. Both routes could work. Both routes have worked. I just found it pretty interesting. But if you're a Florida fan, you hear that and you roll your eyes and go, that's great. Evaluate. But you better get. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> better get Patrick Sertan. Okay, <laughs> right. You better right. get Jerry Judy. Yeah. You better, you know, are we in on these guys? Calvin Ridley, um, and yeah, so on, so forth. Yeah, right. We're Florida, man. We're Florida. We're not Iowa. <laughs> We're Florida. <laughs> yeah. And so I just found that kind of interesting. Those were like back to back days. They had very different answers. I think both could be effective, and we have absolutely no idea. Again, you never know on these coach hires. If four years ago, five years ago, we would have said Scott Frost just came off a 13 and 0 season. He's going back to his alma mater. He's got ties in Florida. This is perfect. And yeah, didn't happen. Right. But see, Dan Mullen, right. Proven head coach. He's got Dak Prescott in the, in the league. I coached him up. Yeah. It didn't happen. So you don't know, but I just really liked 
the two different philosophies of how they handled the press conference and Freeman's based very, very bold statements. And if that's how he's going to be, I feel like Notre Dame, which is like eked along and done really, really well, but has always been sort of like, wow, this is what we are. I think the fans are just eating up the idea of someone sitting there beating the chest and saying, hey, we're Notre Dame. I'm getting the best players and we're going to win the national title. Yeah, exactly. Look out, Ohio State. Look out, Alabama. We're coming for you in recruiting. Uh, And, you know, will they get them? I don't know, but that's the goal now. And, yeah, there was some talk about that, that some schools that maybe they just hadn't gone into because they didn't think they could compete for guys, uh, that Freeman's like, no, we're we're changing the, the map a little bit. We're not just going to the... Catholic school powers, you know, we're going to a lot of places where Notre Dame hadn't traditionally recruited. And yeah, that means we're going to, we're going to take on the Buckeyes and and the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide and whoever else. So that could be, it's going to be a fun, fascinating couple of years, just watching that recruiting dynamic, if it can work. Can, can Freeman and Notre Dame pull it off? What Marcus Freeman has done is made Notre Dame a little bit more accessible. Notre Dame has always been a little bit staid, a little bit uppity, a little bit stiff. And I think the swagger and the energy and the genuineness that he has brought has made Notre Dame more relatable. He's going to be able to reach into city high school coaches. I think families are going to be able to connect a little bit more with Marcus Freeman uh, because they're going to see his family, right? Like I thought Pat had a great scene at the start of his column uh, with with the the six Freeman kids walking into the uh, walking into the press conference. So I do think the the very early impression of Marcus Freeman is that he's someone that people want to get to know. And those who've gotten to know him over the years rave about him in a, in a very rare way. And I, and I really feel like that's going to be, that's going to be an advantage of, Hey, let's go see Notre Dame. Let's go see this new era. Let's go see this new energy. Well, I can say this, and this isn't all Marcus Freeman on, on the recruiting, but the long-term thing for the, the, the old adage with Notre Dame was they could, it, Notre Dame recruits Ohio a lot, obviously, as you expect. If an Ohio state kid had an offer to a, to Ohio state, to Ohio player, they generally get them. Occasionally, Michigan can get some guys in the northern part of the state and stuff, but not lately. They had Charles Woodson and Desmond Howard. I mean, they had some great players from Ohio historically. But Notre Dame could compete with with Ohio State for Catholic school kids. And they signed a lot of great players from the very, very strong Catholic schools in Ohio. But in the last, in the cla- that cla- uh, class of 23, they've got a kid, uh, Brennan Vernon from Mentor, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland. This landed up. Emil Wagner, kid from Wayne High School outside of Dayton. That's a that's a public school. That's not all Marcus Freeman, but it, it's sort of a, a renewed, different attitude in recruiting. Like, all right, yeah, we'll go. Well, I, you know, there's not a defeatist attitude. We can go get kids from the public schools too. And if you start doing that, those kids had those were those were Ohio State offers. They were holding committable offers. All right, now maybe now maybe we're onto something. All right, another recruiting one and recruiting, uh, obviously. I hate the signing day next week. Yeah. I hate this thing. If only for our purposes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, terrible for the players, terrible for the coaches, and it's terrible for us because I'd rather be doing this in February. Right. It's like there's too much going on to look at recruiting. Exactly. We, we don't have time for recruiting in December. We have a lot of time for no. it in February on the pod. Nobody does. And it's stupid. This thing, I, I don't know how this thing keeps going on. Like, this should be changed now. What do you do if you're an Oregon player? Yeah, right. Great. One week, my coach is, I don't know, who's the coach? Mm-hmm. And if you're a five-star player, you could be like, all right, I'm decommitting and 10 schools will call, 50 schools will call you in that day. But what if you're not? You know, what if you're just like, you know, a good player in the, I don't know, what are, what, are we going to pass? Are we going to run? What kind of right. defense are we running? Who, 
who's going to be the coach here? Maybe I should take a visit. Well, you got one weekend to make a visit. Yeah, and most of them so have already used Cal? up their official visits. So yeah, if if you have an official, you got one weekend. If you even have one, do you go to Boise State? Do you go look at Washington? What do what do you do? Like you're you're under. Oh, you wait till the late. Well, if you're not a, a elite player, the the whole classes fill up. Just terrible situation. Terrible. It was a terrible idea to put it in here. It's lazy coaches. I don't want to hear about coaches complaining about how they got fly around babysitting. You're getting paid eight, nine, ten million bucks now. Yeah, right. Deal with it. Yeah. Sorry. Got to fly around on a private jet and meet with high, go to people's nice people's houses and have dinner. Mm-hmm. Burned ends. Ugh. Tragic. And it's six weeks. If you're going to do it, do it six months early. Do it before your high school season starts. Hey, I'm going to be committed and I can just enjoy my senior year of high school without all the recruiting nonsense and then take one official visit maybe and go see a game there or whatever. That's beneficial to the kids and to the school because then they have it set. Doing it six weeks before makes zero sense. None. No, it just was, I don't know what it was. These guys wanted to go away, you know, earlier. It's stupid. The whole thing's dumb. It's not working and it puts people in bad positions and then they sign with the wrong school and then they transfer and everyone complains and calls them selfish. Like they were, you're just stuck. But anyway, the, the signing day is next week. We'll have a signing day special show. Looks like I'll tell you, no, no one's doing better right now than Texas A&M. Texas A&M may up, end up with the number one. Yeah, class. they're killing it. Old Jimbo was right about I ain't leaving because look at the way you see what I got coming. Right. We will see how it ends up. But this this one will be, I guess he's kind of the class of 2022 again, is Quinn Ewers. The great Quinn Ewers, the quarterback out uh, of the Austin area who was the number one player in this class of 2022, but then decided to reclassify at the end, enroll at Ohio State this year, skips his senior year of high school, signs all these endorsement deals, NIL deals, purportedly for up to a million dollars. Who knows, right? But he he got something. Uh, shows up at Ohio State, gets in for two snaps, and then bails. And now he's back in the portal already. I mean, technically, he should be a high school senior. He's <laughs> already in the portal. Yeah, he's already- he ain't even been to the prom, dude. He ain't even been to the prom. Didn't go to prom, but he's <laughs> looking for his second college. Hey, I'll take a million yeah. bucks a snap, right? A million bucks a snap is a pretty good rate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even Tom Brady yeah. isn't making a well, million bucks he, a snap. <laughs> he should have put a ski mask on on some of those Ohio State boosters. <laughs> I mean, what those guys. And, and so now he's looking at Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech seem to be the three, three ones. All the, all those boosters are going in on it too, right? Everyone, everyone's got an ideal NIL deal for Quinn. Everyone wants Quinn Ewers. He's a talented player. He just wasn't going to play next year because of CJ Stroud. Pete, you broke this story. You were in on the story early. What's, what's up with, with Quinn? And it's been a wild ride, but. It's not like the guy's a bust. Is I mean, he still should be a high school senior. Yeah, Quinn Ewers is, is talented, and certainly no one around uh, who's around him at Ohio State is going to deny that. I, I just think the whole thing was a tough fit. Re- remember, he decided to go, had to finish an English class, gets there essentially with like 10 days left in camp. So, And they have a very refined one, two, three, and he's going to come in fourth. He doesn't have time to learn the playbook. He wasn't there early. He was supposed to early enroll E in January. So he comes in totally cold, and three days later, they're worried about going to beat Oregon, and they're worried about going to Minnesota on the opening night. They opened that Thursday. So it was a difficult adjustment period. Plus, he's a young kid who should be a senior in high school. Like, there's all those, like, adjustment to college things with with life going. So, you know, Quinn Ewers made a decision to get back to Texas. Ultimately, I think he goes to Texas because that's just – He's from there. I, I mean, he's obviously from Dallas, but I think if you're a kid who grew up in Texas, he had been committed there. He's very familiar with the place. 
if you look at the coaches he's choosing between, be it Zach Kitley's sort of exciting wide open offense at Tech, uh, Sonny Dykes at TCU, or Steve Sarkeesian, the coach who's best positioned to put you in the NFL is Steve Sarkeesian. Now, Dykes did have golf some at uh, at Cal. And, you know, all of those are very good quarterback coaches. But I think if you're making a decision for Quinn Ewers right now, and he you can't miss again, right? You you go to you go to Texas. You're gonna get some heat for that. Man, what about Texas Tech? <laughs> they got this guy, they hired Patrick Mahomes' favorite guy to be their offensive coordinator. Yeah, and he's like a crazy, no run, total tempo guy. And he could go there yeah. and throw for a billion yards and break every record and become like a cult hero. I just don't know if you're on a plan to get to the NFL in two years, that's the most linear way to do it. I think you go play for Steve Sarkeesian. Now, you may not have an offensive line. They haven't had one in Texas in 10 years. So there are things that are going to be missing. Like, no, none of those situations is perfect. But I think at the end of the day, if you're choosing to what gets you most ready to go to the NFL, you go to the coach who's been in the NFL and the guy who got Mac Jones ready, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, regardless of his NFL future, I certainly hope the commoditization of him at age 18 was worth it monetarily, I guess it is because they made a bunch of money, although you could have waited and let him have his senior year of high school in Texas, and he still could have made money starting this year. Uh, the money wasn't going to go away. So, I, you know, I just I feel like he has been rushed, pushed, managed. Maybe this is all his own doing, but, I, you know, I, I don't see it. I, this seems like a how can we maximize his marketability as soon as possible, as much as we can, uh, and so far, yeah, okay, it's made of money, but it hadn't worked out from a football's perspective. It's not to say it won't, but I, I bet if you ask him, if you gave him truth serum and said, which was more fun, being the fourth string guy at Ohio State and leaving or be, having been the, the star quarterback in the entire state of Texas as a high school senior, I, I, I know what I would pick. Well, I think both you and I agreed. I, I, one thing you learn as a parent is not to spend a lot of time criticizing other parents because right. who knows right? right um but neither of us would have been maybe in favor of that right. it's like let your kid uh be a kid especially if you're not desperate for you know this is not uh destitute but look one of these kids that does this is it, it will be a total bust like some of them are going to be a bust and that's what these some of this nil speculative money is just like we said, like how like so, there's some Ohio State boosters that are, got humiliated on this. Yeah, what would Tate Martell gotten if he had NIL well, money? Tate Martell would have got a ton. I'm sure he did get a ton. A lot of guys. But, but, but I that's mean, it's still is. a coin flip business with quarterbacks, right? One yeah, works, right. one doesn't. You know, you Spencer go through Rattler that. got two know. cars, right? And now everyone's like, "Oh, you're the guy that gave him two cars," yeah. and it's like, "Oh yeah, I got took on that <laughs> one." Like it, it, it becomes a like it's public now. And, you know, I mean, this guy walks in, takes two snaps and leaves, and he's got some money from Columbus, like from somebody up there. And it's like, ah, oh, that was that's kind of embarrassing. But it'll be pretty interesting. But anyway, his decision is going to be very interesting. If he goes to Texas, that presumably would take the Longhorns off the table for Arch Manning. They are very, uh, and he's a junior, obviously, and he is there very in on Arch Manning. And that could, and you know, the thing you hear about Arch Manning, for whatever the truth is on this, is it's Alabama and Texas, and maybe maybe Ole Miss can get back into it or something it's like a little that. Little Georgia but, uh, there too, yeah, yeah, little yeah. Georgia. I mean, if you take Texas out, all right, because I mean, does he want to go behind this guy? The Mannings, 
They rigged the NFL draft once. <laughs> I mean, <I'll> just... <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're probably not that worried about Quinn Ewers in the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, well, or they are. Uh, or they, I mean, they're going to make it. They're they're not afraid to ha- be heavy handed on right, this. I mean, right. when you totally uh, make the Chargers trade you, it was a good you know, decision. They're, they're too, by do, the way, like, <laughs> was a good decision. Yeah, it wasn't. I'm not saying it was a bad decision, but uh, they, yeah, they're not just going to sit there and go, oh, we'll just take our shot with this guy. Uh, I don't know, but that that alone. Uh, yeah, Kirby's in because he went down to visit uh, like their their open week. He went and watched uh, Arch play, and and he needed a get back coach. He was literally on the field when Arch was like running a fifty yard touchdown. So the game was on TV. That see, that's some good recruiting by Kirby. Yeah. Not only was he there for the the ESPNU game, but he literally was standing at like twenty yard, like on the field, like the coach. Yeah, like no one could miss him. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, like all the other recruits watching the sure. game, going, "Is this kid any all good?" The wide like, receivers. Yeah, we're gonna get we, we're gonna go get passes for March. Yeah, that's gonna be uh, gonna be pretty interesting. All right, uh, I thought this was interesting from last weekend. The uh, TV numbers came in from the uh, championship games. SEC fifteen point two million. Big number. That is a big number for college football. That is an NFL number. Granted, just your average like one o'clock window, but you know. What I mean. The NFL is the NFL. Uh, second highest rated game of the year uh, behind the Ohio State-Michigan game, which also did over $15 million. Compelling games with postseason impact. People like to watch. Incredible, isn't it? Big 10, even though it's lopsided, $11.7 million. Watch that. Uh, maybe more interesting than all of it. The Big 12, which also had a postseason impact game. $8 million. Watch the Big 12 title. Wow, and that was a noon window, too. Noon. Huge. Not exactly big markets for that game, either. Like no. the Stillwater market and the Waco market. Those They, they don't exactly bring an organic fan base uh, city. 80% share on the east side of Enid. <laughs> I've got the micro numbers here. Um, against the SEC's 15.2, the American played. 3.4 watched Cincinnati beat Houston. Very respectable number. Yeah. So there's 18.6 million people watching on Saturday afternoon. And uh, I mean, that's and then, you know, I'm sure there was some other games on that picked up, you know, X, whatever. But that is impressive. Now, game that didn't matter, the ACC, 2.6. Game that didn't matter, all alone in its window. Pac-12, Friday night, 4.2. The ACC is still dragging its feet on this thing. But on this thing being I, I, an expanded playoff, this yeah. thing being an expanded playoff yeah. where their their teams get an automatic bid. I, I I don't know what to say. Look at the numbers. Right. I mean, uh, like I know that they can't they can't get out of their TV deal, but to put it this way. If the ACC championship game was getting, let's say, just say it got the Big 12 number, right? Eight million. Well, you're getting a lot more money on the signage and the tick, like everything. There's money to be made here if they can just get out of their way. Yeah. Uh, but these are these are very, very good numbers. They've been very good numbers all year. That's the thing. Games that impacted the playoff, people watched. If you expand the playoff, more games impact the playoff. More people will watch. I'm reasonably confident. And that's the thing. They're, they're just giving away those opportunities in a couple of these conferences. I wonder, why did the AAC go Friday night? They could have done a monster number. Like, yeah. that. It, it's a shame that that went up against the SEC because I do feel like 
there is a compelling everyman feel to, uh, to to Cincinnati that has a little Cinderella thing that's that's very relatable. Do you guys read that David Jones column um, about Cincinnati football from Penn Live? I thought it was one of the best stories of the college football season. He was a Cincinnati student in the 70s and just talked oh. about how hopeless and hapless it was then. And they like, you know, when you like checked into your dorm, they just gave you football tickets. <laughs> like, just take them, <laughs> please. <laughs> and uh, talked about that program's evolution and it got a little bit into the culture of Cincinnati. And know Cincinnati's just sort of this quirky corner of Ohio that doesn't bow down to like big Buckeye and the, and the rest of the state. It was really well, it's really well done. It was, it was one of the best stories of the season. It really captured kind of the essence of the improbability of Cincinnati being in the college football postseason and Ohio State not. I'd look at this, you know, you. That, that, I, I agree. I think that they would have done a bigger number. I mean, it's the NFL playoffs. They're never going to have a game against each other, right? They're not going to do that. You know, you look at the the history of the, the playoff rankings, the BCS, basically 25 to 28 million is the highest rating you're going to get. The first playoff topped uh, 30-something. Uh, I think it was 34 million total, Ohio State, Oregon. I don't know if that was a, I don't know, curiosity factor. But for the most part, you, you don't get higher than, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm looking Alabama, Georgia in, in 18, 17, 18. You know, that was an incredible game. Overtime, 28 million, right? Clemson, Alabama next year, 25.2. LSU, Clemson, 25.6. Last year uh, was only 18.6. The actual the sugar between Ohio State Clemson uh, got to 19.2. So that was the highest rate. So it wasn't quite as good last year. But for the most part, you know, so there's at any, there's 26 million, 28 million people who are willing to watch college football. When you're dropping something close to that on a, a, a Saturday in December, pretty good. Um, obviously, these ratings, this this playoff will be probably lower because of the, uh, the desire to put them on a weekday, New Year's Eve, uh, bad time slots because we have to uh, protect the Rose Bowl. But I just think if they when they get this thing going, this playoff and the playoff is like it's going to expand at some point. If nothing else, by twenty what is it twenty twenty five season, like after that there is no like this thing doesn't have a contract to keep going. The four team just ends, and so they have to come up with something new after that. But when they get this going, there's just a, I just think there's going to be an immense appetite for these games that are going to get 25. And then do you get more than 25 to 30 million people in this country to be really big national college football fans uh, is, is kind of the question. But those are those are some big numbers. And uh, we'll see how how they play. I just think these generally the semifinals don't do as well when it's on New Year's Eve. I think that's a good point, Dan, that gets lost in this is that when you have big playoff games you look at some of these matchups and how they would have gone over the years whether it was like we remember we we dummied them out and it's like wisconsin oregon and whatnot like those are events in those states and in those population areas and that's it's it's just going to compel a bigger audience right because you're sitting watching for four hours investing in four hours getting to know these teams and i really feel like no decision ever in the history of college football has been done for the good of the game, right? And when they fashioned this thing this summer about what was going to come out, they sort of branded it as like, oh, we finally got together and did something for the good of the entire game, just not individuals. And and I do genuinely agree that expanding the playoff would really help grow the sport. It would grow it in the 95 corridor in the Northeast where it's not as big. It would grow it on the West Coast where it isn't the same. It doesn't resonate the same as it does in the uh, in the Sun Belt. So 
the numbers would continue to grow and the game would continue to grow with the 12 team, but it's college football. I mean, people get in their own way and that's what we're seeing right now. So just looking at this playoff, if we had had a 12 teamer this year and, and you got to re rework the things because they have a conference champion, it would be Alabama would be the one seed. Michigan would be the two seed. Cincinnati would be the three seed as a champion. Baylor would be the four seed. Georgia would move all the way down to five. Ohio, Notre Dame would be six. Ohio State, seven, Ole Miss. So you would get Georgia-Pitt. That game would be in Athens. Uh, Notre Dame would host Utah. Fascinating game there. Yeah, I don't think anybody would want to play Utah at this point. No, and like Utah in the Dome. Seven is a rematch we did not need to see, but who knows? Michigan State, Ohio State. Right. But the intriguing part there is the winner of that game plays Michigan. (laughs) Holy yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ri- quarterfinal Michigan-Ohio State game. Yeah. The rivalry triangle. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately they're going to – they think should be played in Michigan Stadium again. Not they'll, – they'll, they'll, they'll send this thing to Arizona, right? <laughs> right, yes. Be horrible, but whatever. And then finally, of Ole Miss-Oklahoma State is a fascinating game. And again, Oxford-Mississippi hosting a playoff game. It's the biggest sporting event in the history of the state, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, winner gets Bama, you know. So you 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 just add all these games. Yeah, fun ones. Imagine Georgia having to. It, I, they should do home field in the quarters at least. But imagine Georgia having to visit Baylor. Ooh, yeah. Holy, I mean that'd be incredible for Waco. Yeah. And Notre Dame Utah winner would play at Cincinnati that way if they did it right. I guess they'd get. Can imagine Cincinnati getting to host Notre Dame. Oh yeah, that's. I know they're not going to do the quarters. They really yeah. should though. I think after the first segment, if people realize how awesome the first round games are on campus, the quarterfinal people are going to want to host a game. Yeah, that's they've got to see it. Probably they got to see it in action and realize how great it could be, and then see if they could possibly wean themselves off of the off the bulls. Those would do very well, and then uh, the and then obviously uh, you would go. The next round would be even better, but you'd just be adding eight games that people want to see, right? And again, these would just be huge. I mean, imagine the excitement right now in Ole Miss oh. to host a playoff game. And I don't even think these are the most compelling matchups the way it's sorted. No, out. I mean, yeah, yeah, you could do better. You really could. That's just the way it broke this year. But there, there will be better. And there will be more compelling. Again, yes, I think two rounds on campus would be even better if we could, to use the parlance of the last podcast, get them to unlatch from the uh, oh no <laughs> from the bulls quite a reaction to the latching story <laughs> there's was, was a fair amount of reaction to that sorry sorry to have brought it to you but it did happen you jarred a good segment of america with that all right one final thing uh we're gonna do uh we're gonna have a pod later this week looking at army navy heisman early bowl look we're gonna have our two-part a massive bowl breakdown where we go through every game. Huge. Always fun. We will, we will help you Always get fun. rich on the bowl game. Yeah. I One year, I went, I, I killed it. Dan yeah. won like 70% of the games one year. It was the damnedest yeah. thing. No, it was like, I, 70. I was like 85. I was oh, like 30 and 4. It's growing. Yeah. This is the fish story. Asianism here is strong. <laughs> you did really oh, yeah. well, Dan. It happened. You did really well. Oh, it happened. I was killing it. I'm postseason. I'm postseason. Mr. October. But we're going to get to all that. We'll have a National Signing Day thing. Keep stick with us. Always crazy stuff. One thing we did want to mention bowl-wise, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, the the Mayonnaise Bowl, that is a little repulsive to those of us who don't like mayo. And Charlotte is is 
Battle of the Carolinas, North Carolina versus South Carolina. Remember when uh, Spurrier was uh, at South Carolina, they were playing North Carolina, and he said that uh, the winner should get to use the be able to use the term Carolina football. <laughs> that should be the winner. They did not. Uh, both sides say they're Carolina. Uh, but the Duke's Mayo people will donate $10,000 to the school's charity of choice if the winning team's coach gets a huge bucket of Duke's Mayo dumped on him. So instead of Gatorade, if you dump either uh, South Carolina coach Shane Beamer or North Carolina coach Mac Brown gets dumped, like this is like a... like that show Wipeout or was it the Green Slime from Nickelodeon or whatever, uh, you get 10 grand. Beamer said he's down with it, even though he's, quote, I'm not a big Mayo guy, but I'll take one for the team. See, all right, you two guys need to hear that and understand that because you, you're you so, so violently anti-Mayo. You can see that Mayo does have good uses. But I really want to see North Carolina win and see this end up on Mac Brown because <laughs> – if you look, if you've seen Mac on the sidelines the last couple of years, he, he's just starting to look kind of frumpy. You know, I mean, like the headset's kind of askew, and he just he looks a little bit goofy. And now you throw a bucket. I swear of, he was wearing pajamas yeah. one day. Like he, his pants look like pajamas. Yeah, yeah. So you throw a bucket of mail on top, and it's just going to be perfect. You know. He's, he's a guy, he, he, you get him away from the field and he's he's stately and so charming and well-spoken and all that. But then you get him on the sidelines and he's starting to look like a mess. And then I I just want to see the mayo added on top. I, th- I think that would be a lovely touch for Mac. Just I, won't, I don't wish a dumping of mayonnaise on anyone. I would rather have like a bucket of termites dumped on me. <laughs> Fear factor. Joe Rogan. Oh. Oh. I mean, okay. So they'll give 10,000 to like some like children's hospital or something eh, i say not enough not worth it <laughs> you're gonna deprive the children's hospital of 10 grand because you don't like mayo listen if the duke's mayo people are so evil that they're they, that their only reason of giving the 10 grand is to publicly humiliate one of these fine carolina oh, coaches God. then what it speaks to the inner uh, ethics of big mayo <laughs> Just give the money. Oh, my. You got 10 grand laying around? You want to help out some kids, children's hospital? Give it. No, let's have Show a little kids fun. Let's could use put it. a little condiment on a football coach. They take themselves so damn seriously anyway. They're using the they're using the charity as a marketing tool. Uh, Bad people. Bad people. Wear the mayo. All right, we'll be back on Thursday with another edition. But make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of them. Because you never know what could happen. We might have to throw out an emergency pod. Anything's going down right now. Uh, we'll be back then. Looking forward to talk to you. Thank you all for sharing us on social media and telling your friends about us, keeping our, our numbers high. Talk to you later.